welcome back to the Narcissist Slayer. I am your host, Hope J. I'm the founder and president of the Center for Hope of Western New York. At the Center for Hope, we offer hope, health, and healing from narcissistic abuse. We are a nonprofit organization with a mission to provide legal advocacy, mental health support, holistic healing services, and financial advisement, and education to help you down the path from victim to survivor. You can find out more about our services by visiting our website at centerforhopewny.org or please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Center for Hope WNY for helpful information on recovery from narcissistic abuse. So today I am happy to introduce Kristen Dagnan. Kristen is, <laughs> Kristen is an attorney and she also is uh, one of the lawyers at the Center for Hope of Western New York. And she's been with us for about a year now. And Kristen and I decided that in, uh, in honor of uh, October being uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, that the two attorneys from Center for Hope of Western New York should uh, do a podcast dedicated to talking about legal issues that survivors face in court. And I just want to be clear that we are not giving legal advice today. Um, what we will be talking in, in general terms about issues that, that you know, people face in court. And hopefully we will be able to give our listening audience some good ideas and advice and tactics about how when you are facing a toxic person or you know, a, a, a potentially a narcissist, you know, somebody who is disordered, and, and difficult in life, they're also going to be uh, extremely difficult in court. And you know, one of the things that people always say is, you know, when a narcissist can no longer control you, they try and control how other people see you. And one of the ways that narcissists do that is through something called post-separation legal abuse. Um, when, when they can't control you in your life, then they're gonna try and continue to control you and abuse you through the court system. And, and Kristen, I mean, it's a pretty, uh, difficult uh, situation for uh, people who you know have been in this abusive relationship and finally found the strength to get out of this abusive relationship and then find themselves in uh, being abused in the court system. So real quickly I just want to tell our listeners um, about Kristen. Kristen is a trial attorney experienced in handling matrimonial and family law matters, uh, discrimination cases, bankruptcies, estate planning, workers comp, criminal law, and labor and employment law. So Kristen has been an assistant district attorney and that's how we got to know one another and a town prosecutor as well as um, now she is the owner of her own law firm, uh, the law offices of Kristen Dagnan. Um, and Kristen is, uh, joined the Center for Hope uh, because she believes that victims of abuse deserve an environment where they feel safe to seek a just outcome and a new start in life. So thank you, Kristen. Thank you. All right. Um, so let's get, let's just jump right into this. What do you think? I'm, I'm good. Yes. Okay. So we are, we are, uh, right now, wait, hang on, let me give a good back. So we are actually using our new, uh, <laughs> sophisticated podcast system today. So forgive us if we are learning uh, how to use it. So we're going to have to share the microphone and, uh, in order for, for us to get good audio here. So we're going to be kind of flipping it back and forth as we're talking. So we're going to try to remember to do that. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So, so Kristen, um, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started this podcast today, and 
and you and I thought that we should kind of break it down into two parts. And the first thing that we, we want to talk about is, is what I talked about before, uh, you know, when I was just introducing the podcast, is post-separation legal abuse. So, you know, what exactly is post-separation legal abuse? It, it's, it's, it's what I said. It's when, you know, your, your, your narcissist is, can't get to you through any other means. At this point, the only way that they have to stay connected to you is through the court system, right? And um, as we all know, uh, you know, anyone listening to this podcast knows that narcissists are, you know, huge into impression management and they tend to have, um, you know, a lot of charisma and a, a lot of a, 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 an uncanny ability to be able to influence people who don't know them into believing that they are good people, right? Yeah. Yes. And um, Hope and I were discussing this a little before the podcast. And we see a lot of things happen when someone gets the courage to leave an abusive relationship and they file for divorce and you would think that's the hardest thing, but they have a long road to go. And part of it is the legal system. Um, and narcissists or people who are abusive um, or disordered don't stop the abuse when once divorce starts or, or once there's a custody battle. Sometimes they really amp it up. And we see it in a lot of ways in court. We see... A lot of manipulation of children um, which can be really sad we see manipulation of schedules we see it where a narcissist or an abuser will try to get control of the party who's filed for divorce or filed for custody by trying to ruin that party's image by sending out messages to an individual's friends telling lies telling stories um, by bringing a person back to court repetitively mm -hmm. so that there's never a way to kind of, they kind of feel like this keeps going on and the abuse continues in another way. So what we wanted to talk about was like some legal strategies that we can kind of use to um, try to cut down on that and, and to try to put the other side back in their place and help our clients. Yeah, yeah. you know, you brought up a couple of really good examples, I think, of what people are facing when they, you know, are either dragged into court, like you said, you know, oftentimes narcissists will file petition after petition after petition um, if you're in family court. And if you're in the in a matrimonial with them, in a divorce action with them, uh, oftentimes you find that you're being, you know, that things that should be easily resolved are not easily resolved because they're just going to dig their heels in, they're going to drag it out, they're going to, you know, file motion after motion after motion. Uh, you know, another thing that narcissists are prone to do is they fire their attorneys. Um, you know, they can only get along with someone as long as somebody perceives them as, as being, you know, this great person. And when somebody's onto them and they call, you know, call them out, then they're onto the next lawyer. So it makes it really difficult um, for the, the, for the other part, for the part, their partner, for the lawyer on the other side, um, when they're constantly switching attorneys and pulling all of these, you know, fast ones. But, you know, interestingly enough, and, and this is something that, you know, that you and I have talked about, not just minutes ago but we talk about it a lot um, you know as we're as we're handling these cases the thing that is I think the most frustrating um, for our clients is as, <laughs> as it is for us is the way that uh, narcissists or you know these abusive disorder type people the way that they're able to convince uh, people in the court system that they are really a nice guy um, if I had a dollar for every time that I heard, um, you know, that phrase, uh, well, you know, it's a he said, she said, right? 
um, or uh, you know, it, the blame lies, you know, somewhere in the middle or, you know, there's always uh, some trite, uh, you know, a phrase that, that you hear from, uh, from the court, from the AFC, from the other attorney, where our clients' concerns um, are downplayed and not given the weight that they should be given um, in the context of a court proceeding. And uh, I think that that is one of the greatest challenges that I find as an attorney who's representing, you know, primarily uh, women survivors uh, who are in, in court with, with narcissists, you know, disordered people, is that um, that these generally these and I, I'm going to use pronouns here. So forgive me, um, you know, if there are men listening to this, you know, we, we fully acknowledge and believe that there are female narcissists out there. And I have male clients. Um, I do the same for them, but it's it's predominantly uh, female. So I don't trip over my pronouns. I'm, I'm going to just use she and he. Um, so, you know, when when women are 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 in court and, uh, you know, they've been through this. Uh, often years of, of emotional abuse, sometimes physical abuse, um, all kinds of course, coercive control tactics. People haven't believed them. Um, like Kristen said earlier, they've, they've done a great job of impression management and uh, they've got their flying monkeys and everybody believes that they're the great guy. And oftentimes they've worked really hard to convince uh, people that, that our clients are the emotionally unstable one. And then they get into court and they continue that narrative and um, they're able to uh, turn an AFC. Uh, for those of you who don't know, an AFC is Attorneys for Children. So they're able to influence um, Attorneys for Children. They're able to influence judges. They're able to influence you know, other people involved in the court system. For example, um, you know, people who, who conduct custody evaluations and things of that nature. So um, you know, once a, a narcissist has done, you know, that sort of a, a, a job on the, the, very, the people who are so influential in how these custody proceedings um, go, it's very, very difficult for us as attorneys who are representing the, the victim to convince the court that their you know, concerns are legitimate. And you know, I, I'm gonna pass the microphone over to Kristen and maybe Kristen, you can give some examples of like some of the challenges that we face. Like when our clients come to us you know, some of the things that they're saying or some of the behaviors um, that they're doing that are unfortunately having the opposite effect on, you know, the people that we're trying to convince to help them. Right. So a lot of times um, when clients come to us from an abusive relationship, um, the abuse has gone on for a long time since the beginning of the relationship or pretty close to there. And then when there's kids involved, um, our client wants to protect their children. Mm -hmm. Um, there may not be a paper trail of abuse because a lot of people in abusive relationships don't call the cops. Some do, but a lot don't, so there's not a paper trail. Maybe friends and family have seen things over the years and tried to help this person, but there's no physical evidence in front of the court. Um, and things escalate, and then a lot of times we're presented with some kind of big situation where maybe a mom decides, I'm going to take my children, I need to protect them, and... Um, and they're my kids, mm -hmm. and then we're left defending, you know, why why she took the kids, and, and the dad wants to get, you know, some visitation with the kids, or or you start making decisions because um, that the court looks at as being very emotional decisions, or maybe not rational, but it's not because 
Um, it's because the court hasn't had the whole background of what's been happening for the whole relationship. Or doesn't, or, yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, even more importantly, the court, and, and this, and, and I'm, you know, saying this as a person who practices in, in Supreme and family court, you know, there are some people who I think have a good background in domestic violence, um, but even those people are not as well educated in things like coercive control, um, all of the emotional and psychological abuse tactics that go on in these types of relationships that, you know, over time, you will see uh, a person who's been exposed to that sort of, you know, mentally breaking down themselves, right? So it's not unusual for a woman who's been uh, emotionally and psychologically abused, maybe never physically harmed, maybe never physically hit, but, you know, abused to the point that they are, um, you know, they've been gaslit for so long, they've been, they've been financially abused, they've been emotionally abused, that by the time you know they show up in a court proceeding they they look like somebody who's you know kind of lost their bearings because they have okay you know going through a relationship like this is like you know when they say it's a war at home it truly is a war at home it's 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 guerrilla warfare emotional warfare in the household right that reminds me of one thing. Hope and I were both um, in the DA's office met many years ago, and Hope worked in a lot of the domestic violence cases. But a lot of times, I mean, we would have to interview the police officers, what you saw when you arrived at the house. A lot of times it wasn't the abusive person who was out of control when the police arrived. It is the woman or the one who was abused who's crying, mm -hmm. screaming. Mm -hmm. Um, as the abuser sits there and is like, nothing happened, I don't know why she's mm -hmm. going crazy. And this is, this is common. Um, but it's just because they have the ability to be persuasive, to be manipulative when they need to be. So this isn't something that's not common. It's something we see all the time and it's something that we have to deal with in the court. So our first thing is before you actually want to file for custody, um, or divorce, if you have a paper trail, that's like the number one thing we, if we wish clients would come in and say, okay, I have this police report, this incident report, I have this witness by friends that, you know, so that we have specific instances where we could have someone sign an affidavit saying something or you know we could have the witnesses that we need it and then the second thing is what we were talking about once once the once we file for petition for custody or once we file for divorce we know that the second round of abuse is going to happen we know it's going to happen yeah. um we know the one of the most statistically one of the most dangerous times for a woman in an abusive relationship is right after she leaves, right, or right when they file for divorce because the abuser's out of control. So it feels like the world's out of control. So, um, it's what can we do once we filed? Because we know we know that the other side, the abusive side, is not going to be rational, and so and and they're going to pull things. They're going to, um, you know, make up stories. They're going to manipulate children. Well, that's the thing. It, yeah. It, so I mean, you, you bring you bring up such an important point. So, so we're not playing on the same chessboard here, right? No. So, so an abuser is going to come into court and, and, you know, their mouth is moving, they're lying, right? Mm -hmm. They're signing sworn aff affidavits that are filled with lies, okay? Um, you know, and, and then you have, and this is something that when you've been in a relationship like this, you're so used to because, you know, this is how this person has behaved for such a long period of time that, um, you know, you're, you're in high alert 
you know, you're, 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 you're probably experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder and it's just getting worse as you're going through this court proceeding where you have to see them and interact with them, you know, on this, uh, in this very high conflict, you know, place. But the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, if you, you are, um, you know, playing defense, you know, and a lot of times that's what I find that we're doing. We're playing defense because they've already, you know, they've filed their petition or they've commenced a divorce action and, and they've already, um, you know, cr they're creating the narrative, right? They're creating the narrative that they're, they're the stable one and you're the emotionally unstable one. And sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, you know, and I, in no way am I discouraging people from getting help. Absolutely get help if you need help. But sometimes what I think is happening is that, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, that she's, she's diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I can't say how many times I've heard that one. Or, or she's a borderline personality disorder and she's on all of these medications and, you know, she, this has happened and that has happened. So sometimes, you know, they're, they're trying to skew um, your, you know, whatever issues that you faced and make it seem like, well, look, I look at me, I'm the stable one, you know, while they're sitting back going, ha, 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 because they've driven you insane, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that's super important is that, you know, when you do come uh, and seek an attorney, that you find an attorney who understands these issues, mm -hmm. um, who, hope, you know, hopefully, like Kristen and I, has a background in domestic violence, um, that we understand, you know, what we're going to be getting from the other side so that we can help you prepare for it. Uh, we want you to appear emotionally stable and grounded in a courtroom um, because unfortunately, and I, you know, this is just the reality, um, people are going to judge you, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, you can go ahead. No, I would, yeah. I would definitely say that sometimes we use the phrase like perception sometimes is reality. Maybe right. it's not the truth, but like if you look like in court, you know, we appear and right now we do a lot of appearances by um, like a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams, but you still need to look like if, if you're there, you're, you're not frazzled, you're, you're put together and your attorney does most of the talking. But if the judge asks you a question and, you know, we always tell our clients be calm, um, don't, you know, don't take bait if the other yeah. side tries to like say something, it, it's better to stay mute because you're not going to look good if you start fighting um, in an appearance. So. Um, and boy, do they know your triggers. Oh, they, yeah. and, and the other side do know that your triggers, yeah. your, your partner who you've been with, who's known how to manipulate you yeah. for a lot of years, if you are in one of these relationships, knows how to manipulate you. They know what to say. Yeah. And we see it all the time. We yeah. see it where, especially when it used to be, um, where there's more in-court appearances where the ex-partner would bring in a new girlfriend mm -hmm. or just, just to cause conflict right before someone yeah. would go into court and it, it just to get someone off kilter. I mean, I've seen it so many times. So many times. And so yeah. it's, it's one of these things where we, we, we have to try to prepare our clients for that. And then another thing we, so one is getting it into court and being prepared to go to court. The other thing is, you know, that they're going, the other side is going to not be rational and pull stuff after. So what are you going to do about it? And that's the other thing we try to help clients with is we try to help them work out some kind of settlement where, the other person cannot manipulate their way out of it. And there's a lot of ways yeah. that we work on that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely gonna talk about that in a minute. I okay. mean, that, that's, you know, that's a super important part of this that, you know, if anything, if you take anything away from this today, it's, um, you know, if you're, if you're working with an attorney right now, we're gonna give you some, some great advice and recommendations of things that should be in your parenting agreement um, or any, you know, final custody order. But before we do that, I just want to spend uh, you know a couple of minutes talking about probably the most important person in your court case, 
and that is the attorney that's been assigned to represent your children. Now, um, you know, we are in uh, New York State here. You know, I don't know who, you know, if you're listening from an, another state, but, it, you know, we're sp really just talking, you know, our experience and we're licensed to practice in New York. But in New York, um, in any contested custody matter, an attorney for a, child, a child or children will be appointed, okay? And um, that person's job is to advocate for what, um, you know, what the children want, okay? It used to be years ago that their job was to advocate for what was in the best interest of the children and, that, and they could substitute their judgment. But now, um, you know, the uh, attorneys for children, are their job is to advocate for what children want unless they're, and, and I'm not gonna go through the whole, you know, thing, but unless there's a reason for them to substitute their judgment. So, you know, most of the time, that's what attorneys for children are doing. They, you know, if the, if the kids are old enough, they're speaking to the children and they're going in and representing what those kids want. Now, so you, everybody knows this, you know, narcissists are master manipulators and they are often getting into these kids' heads and they are often saying, you know, terrible things about their partners and about their mothers and disparaging, um, you know, or fathers, you know, basically, again, sorry about pronouns, but that, you know, and so, you know, you've got these very highly coached, highly manipulated children. However, what I have seen, and I know what Kristen has also seen in these cases, is that AFCs seem to, um, you know, at times, too many times, uh, not be able to see what these guys are doing. And, um, you know, oftentimes, again, with their superficial charm and, you know, they're a lot of times they're charismatic and they're articulate and they don't seem uh, unstable uh, to a person who's talking to them in, in that context. And then they sit down with the, with the mother, with our client, who has, you know, this laundry list of, of, of reasons why um, they, they feel that, they, that their partner is not suitable to be a custodial parent. And rather than, uh, you know, having the effect that we wanted to have, it tends to have sometimes the opposite effect. And I'm going to turn it over to Kristen. Yes. And I would say I've seen this so many times. I, I can't even count. I've gotten calls from the AFC saying, well, you know, I, I'm really concerned about your client. She, I mean, the four-year-old wouldn't say this about her father unless your client mm -hmm. didn't put this in the head. A four-year-old wouldn't come... Uh, and say this, and I, I'm like, no, there's, you know, there's, it's because there's been abuse here. And a lot of times, and I think that unless you have a background with abuse, you mm -hmm. don't understand, children have been in this abusive situation too. Mm -hmm. Children know that the other parent is abusive. They, they try to function just like anyone else would in an abusive situation. They want to please the abuser. They want to make sure that everything's okay. They don't want to do anything that upsets them. They love both of their parents no matter what. Like children of abusive parents still love their abusive parent most right. of the time. And but the other thing is that most of them are not gonna talk about the abuse in their home. Right. They've been coached enough to say nothing. Right. Like we don't we don't talk about family business. And they've been coached since they were little. So Or they, they feel disloyal to the parent, Or they feel right? disloyal yeah. and or they feel like they're being put in the middle. Yeah. Or one of the parents has said, if you say anything mm -hmm. to that attorney for the child, you know, it's you're going to get dad put in jail or you're going to, you know, and this is what little kids worry about. They don't know how the legal system works. Um, they know that they have a mom and a dad. They love them both and they, they're confused. Right. Um, and so a lot of times that's what the ASE deals with. And it's not just like a normal everyday child going through a regular divorce situation. And it and it's hard. I mean, it, I almost sometimes wish there was like counselors involved as well. But the, but like, um, it's hard. It's hard. So I think that that's something that we really have to overcome with 
with these kind of situations. And sometimes I like try to talk to the ASC and kind of educate them on abuse. That doesn't always work. They, you know, it, it, people form their opinions. People start using words like parental alienation, mm -hmm. wow. which I mean, I've heard that said so many times and I, I'm like, why, you know, someone's repeating what actually happened in their life and the child knows about it. And then it's, you know, that it's, it gets used as a sword against the person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Kristen, it's, it's so, it's such an unfortunate situation when, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, um, generally it's a, it's a mom who's coming in saying, I'm worried, you know, I, I don't trust this man for the reasons that they feel like they can't trust him. And there's, you know, a laundry list of reasons. I don't, you know, that they're, they're worried, they're concerned. Usually, you know, I find that the mothers that are the most concerned are the mothers of the nonverbal children. So we're talking about, you know, kids that are like five and under, right? Um, we're talking about toddlers, we're talking about infants who can't speak, who can't tell um, an AFC, you know, how they feel or what they want or, you know, tell anybody if, if, if they're unsafe in the home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that moms, you know, tend to worry uh, a lot um, and, and, they, and they, you know, they don't feel like they can turn um, or, or give a, an infant or a toddler to that other parent without um, you know be, their stomach being in knots and, and being worried every second, which then kind of translates to behavior that, that from the outside looking in looks to be unstable. And that's when we get these allegations from the AFCs uh, of parental alienation. Now, it's nonsense. Uh, it's... It's, it's, it, first of all, you know, I could, I don't even want to start talking about parental alienation because it makes me angry. Okay. But, um, you know, most of the time what we're dealing with is a, is a, a mother who has been traumatized by the partner, um, and who is, you know, rightly so in her own head is, doesn't, you know, trust that the partner's going to take, that the, you know, the father's going to take care of the child, you know, in the way that they feel the child should be taken care of. And this is a very, very challenging space for people to be in when they're going through divorces, when they're going through contested custody cases, and they have to learn, um, you know, to let go of some of that control from, from your side, you know, being the mom, when you're dealing with somebody who you don't fully trust. And it puts everyone in a difficult position because an AFC, uh, more often than not, is going to say, well, in you know, something that Kristen said earlier, you know, if we don't have the documentation, if we don't have the proof that there's been, um, you know, unfortunately physical violence in this relationship or something that we can hang our hat on to show that this man is dangerous, um, it's going to be a very difficult fight because, uh, you know, the courts are more often than not leaning into this 50-50 shared joint custody arrangement yes. that they're going to start there and then it's almost as if we have to disprove that. We have to put, you know, evidence forth to show, um, you know, that's pretty much like the default now. Yeah. And we have to put evidence forth to show why it shouldn't be. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, and this is something that I know uh, is incredibly frustrating for, for women who are coming out of abusive relationships um, to, to come into family court thinking that they're going to get, and I'm going to use this word justice, right? 
that they're going to get justice and then to find out that you know attorneys like us like Kristen and I who understand it backwards forwards upside down who have been in this field forever we've been on you know prosecutors we we you know we understand it but yet we still can't convince AFCs and judges um you know without evidentiary proof so right i mean it's like any court case though uh, i mean it's hard in these situations because Sometimes, like, the bruises in these situations aren't, like, physical bruises. Right. Um, but in any court case, the first thing we were taught as young attorneys is you need to present your evidence. evidence. And evidence 101, that's what we learned in yep. law school. Yep. You have to have evidence. You have to present it in a proper way to the court. Yep. Um, you have to be able to get it in at the time of trial. Um, and so that's really how we build a case. So the number one important thing I would say is come into your attorney yep. with your evidence. Yep. And we'll tell you whether what we can do with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's that that's the best advice that we can give anybody that's gearing up, thinking about divorcing, thinking about going into family court on a custody matter. You know, we you know document, document, document. Save those text messages. Save those you know voicemail messages where he's threatening you. Um, you know, uh, there's 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 ways that you can build a case, but if if we don't have, you know, it's it's again that we're going to get back at us. Well, it's a he said she said because now he's going to be saying that you did however many things that you know you're claiming he did, and and without evidence, um, it's going to be very difficult for us to build that case. So, um, I think we're going to transition now and start talking about. You know, once we're you know we're, we're we're through this this phase where you know we're gonna we're gonna try and help you settle the case. Now, I believe um, personally, having having done this for a very long time now, that it's always in the best interest of our clients to settle these cases if at all possible. Doesn't mean that we're not ready to try them. I mean, Kristen and I are experienced litigators. You know, we're we're always ready to try a case. But when you're talking about family court, when you're talking about kids. Who knows what your children need better than you do? Um, do you want to leave that up to a judge to make that decision? Um, so, you know, more often than not, I try, you know, and I encourage my clients to see if we can work toward a settlement. And, this, and, the, and the parenting agreements that Kristen and I, um, you know, that we draft, are, are, we're always taking into account. How do we best protect, not, not you know, your, your children, obviously, but also you, right? How do we best protect you from, you know, when we're talking about post-separation legal abuse, but how do we protect you from continuing ongoing harassment once the court case is over, right? Because, you know, there's not, nothing says narcissist like, you know, how, how am I? I'm not following court orders. I'm not doing right. I mean, you know, that's what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. What's the movie, right? So, you know. Yeah. I mean, we see that because a lot of people who are narcissistic, they don't, they don't think they have to file. It's a sheet of paper. Right. Um, sometimes they think that about an order of protection. I mean, it's, and we see that a lot too. Um, but I would say, so what we try to do is make parenting agreements as detailed as possible to mm -hmm. kind of look at every kind of situation which could happen, which could be twisted. One thing we recommend in these kind of cases is that no communication with each other by like cell phone or regular texting. We can, we recommend we put in the parenting agreement communication through a parenting mm -hmm. app, yeah. such as like our family wizard, or there's several free ones um, that the court will say, yes, you use these. 
And this you can put your kid's schedule on. Oh, I'm sorry. You can put your kid's schedule on there. It will know what date and what time each party has the kids, whether or not the kids has extracurricular activities. You can communicate back and forth about medical issues with the kids. Um, and, uh, and then it keeps a complete paper trail for the court. Um, now, so that's one way we, we try to do things. Um, we also, with regard to our visitation schedule, um, we try to make it and what the parties will agree on, but as strict as possible, because a lot of times I see manipulation in these situations where you're going to say, I'll pick up the kid at 11, at 11 o'clock, um, before lunch and it's 12 o'clock and no one's there or they forgot or, or you're waiting for your ex to bring back your kid and, uh, they haven't and yeah. they're not communicative. So like, then there's some, we put try to put some kind of sanctions in, in that agreement saying, yeah. all right, if it's a forfeiture clause, it's a forfeiture yeah. clause. Yeah. If, if, if you, if, if one party is not there within 15 minutes to pick up the child, then they forfeit their right that time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of tricks to this trade. Um, yeah. you know, having done this for a long time, uh, you know, the most important thing when you're devising a parenting agreement with a narcissist or a disordered person is that we want this agreement to have the least amount of interaction mm -hmm. that you, you know, that you can ever have with this person again going forward, no matter how old your children are, okay? Of course, it's easier when they're older, but even when they're young, we can try to devise agreements where you never have to see this person, you know, generally speaking, uh, uh, you know, during regular access with the children. So for example, you know, pickups and drop-offs either at school or daycare, okay? So we can devise an agreement where, you know, you never even have to go to the other person's house or they never have to come to your house and then you're not waiting on them to be late because all pickups and drop-offs are at either at daycare or at school. To me, that's, you know, a beautiful thing. Um, if you can't, for whatever reasons, do that, then you want all uh, pickups and drop-offs to be curbside, if at all possible. Um, if the children are not old enough to walk from the car, then we do monitored exchanges. You know, we're going to do those at a in, a in a in a parking lot that's crowded, or you know, worst case scenario, we've done them in police stations. So you know, don't don't think that that you 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 have to have um, you know any interaction with this person. We put you know in these agreements that there'll be no communication to pickups and drop-offs. That all communication is through this parenting app. Um, you know, so that way it's like Kristen said, it's a living transcript. Uh, you know, there's no text that can be deleted or altered, no emails that can be deleted or altered, altered, no phone calls, you know, in the middle of the night or threatening voice messages, anything like that would be a violation of the order. And you can file, you know, a violation petition on that. So it keeps you safe and it keeps the communication limited. Oh, one other thing you wanted to say that all communication is to be about the health, welfare and education of the children only so that there's no little loopholes that they can sneak through because they love to do that. Where they can start accusing you about who you're dating or, you know, because that's, you know, a favorite thing for narcissists to do. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that we tend to do. I mean, there's lots of, of, of ways that, oh, uh, you definitely want to have a very, very strict schedule. Um, like, like Kristen said, loosey-goosey, agree and arrange um, access with narcissists never, ever works. You want it to be strict. Um, you know, that, what the times that they're going to be picked up and dropped off. You also want to ensure that you have a holiday and vacation schedule so that there's not going to be any fighting around that. Um, those are things that, you know, good lawyers will ensure 
that um, that you have in parenting agreements. So, you know, there's lots of other things, you know, we could talk about this probably for, you know, a very long time, but these are just some basic general things that when you are sitting down to um, complete and, and negotiate a parenting agreement, you want to make sure that you, at the very least, that you have, um, you know, these these sorts of, of clauses in your agreements. And uh, Kristen, is there anything that you thought of that, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I would just say, the more specific the agreement yeah. is, the better, especially with regard to access and like what times the kids are where. And it's also, frankly, better for the kids because they'll know at this time I'm with dad, at this time I'm with mom. It's none of this fighting about where they're going to be on what day. So frankly, like when there's a strict schedule, especially in one of these situations, yeah. even the AFC will agree, okay, because they know that structure is good for kids. Um, having vacation time or holiday time all spelled out um, down to very nitty gritty details like I you get them till noon on mm -hmm. Christmas and then I get them the rest of the day um, it, that's important too just so that you can avoid mm -hmm. these kind of fights with the yeah. ex um, and you know e even also down to who's taking the kids to their activities usually it's the person who has them on their day takes them to the activity but sometimes that becomes an issue as well um, so it's, it's one of those things that we can put all this in an agreement. I've seen agreements too, where they say, um, at the end of each school year, we'll talk to a parent facilitator, um, to, to try to plan the next year or the kids activities because people have a hard time communicating in these kind of situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more thing that I want to add, um, before we, we close today is, uh, you know, something that I think people don't do enough of is you know once you get this agreement and this final order you know either through a, a property settlement agreement um, parenting agreement after a divorce or you know through a, a final custody order in a family court situation is you know you have to hold him or her accountable okay that's because important. because these orders are as good as the paper they're written on, right and there's nothing that judges hate more than people that violate their court orders, okay? So, I mean, again, the best advice that I can give people is once you know this, you're out of, finally out of court with this person, and I know you probably don't, you know, relish going back, but in order to avoid, you know, that slippery, slippery slope of them pushing your boundaries and pushing your boundaries, we, we developed this order this way for you for a reason because we're trying to help you so that you have very strict boundaries with this person that they, they can't push you around anymore. So if they're constantly violating the order and not following through with the conditions that are in the order, then by all means, you should take them back. You take them back on a violation, you take them back on an enforcement, you take them back on a modification or some other um, you know, legal uh, matter. So, um, so with that, I think that, uh, you know, that we, we've covered, you know, the topics that we wanted to cover today on post-separation legal abuse and, and contested custody matters. Kristen and I would like, we're, we're, I think we're planning on doing one more podcast where we're going to talk about the financial issues uh, in, a, in a divorce, specifically financial abuse when you're divorcing a, a narcissist. So thank you so much for listening and uh, we will see you again next time.